to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we will be discussing two articles from the June issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled Fermenting for Forages, Small Grain Silage, and Finding the Right Moisture. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by the co-authors, Brad Schick and Ben Beckman, who are Nebraska Extension Educators. Thanks for joining me today. Glad to be on, Aaron. Thanks for having us, Aaron. Well, the focus of these articles is really on small grain silage and thinking about ways to utilize these in cropping systems. As we think about small grain silage as we record this podcast, we're sitting here in early June, and for many folks, they've already harvested rye silage. They may be thinking about triticale or wheat or oats coming up. And there are some things that producers can think about and utilize to make sure that they get a high-quality product And also for those who might be considering this for the first time, understanding how they fit into cropping systems and and what are some of the benefits and challenges are important to understand. Give some perspective on some things that producers should know and understand around small grain silage and how they can fit into production systems. Right, Aaron. So right off the bat, a lot of producers have begun to use uh, cover crops, uh, which essentially turn into a small grain silage uh, in the spring if it's winter planted or, or even if it's a spring planted cover crop, uh, use it also in the late spring, early summer as a, as a silage. A lot of producers are trying to find ways to diversify their operations, uh, bring family members back to an operation. And this is a way that we can essentially uh, get more out of, the, out of the land, out of the ground that we have. Uh, many producers do this now with, with more of an idea with covering the soil, uh, reducing soil erosion. And some of it's because there are some government payments that help with putting in some of these uh, cover crops and and there's an incentive for that. Um, So those are just some of the reasons why it's become more common. Uh, And obviously if it put up right, it can make some some great high quality feed. Let's talk a little more about that high quality feed aspect and what are some of the things that really we need to pay attention to in order to get the best quality product we can out of a small grain silage. Now, now we know there's some relationship between time of harvest and obviously the more mature the crop is, the greater the biomass or volume we're going to have, the more tonnage, but there's kind of a balancing act between quality and quantity. Give some perspective on some things we should be thinking about as we think about time of harvest and also some factors that need to be taken into account to put up a high quality feed. Right. So there's always that sweet spot between, between quality and yield and, and there's going to cross at some time throughout the calendar year. You know, the earlier you put it up, the yield won't be there, but the quality will be much higher. Everyone has their own purpose for the forage they're going to put up. If you're wanting high quality forage, you're going to have some lower yields. If you're looking more at me possibly for a roughage, or energy source, uh, you're probably going to want the yield. So you're going to cut it later. Usually when we talk about, in general, most of these small grain silages is that late milk stage uh, to soft dough stage is about that crossover period uh, when you're still going to get high quality, but you're maximizing your yield as well. You know, After this point, you have a higher energy to protein ratio. So that's when those decisions and and need to be made. It also means that once the silage is made, 
it needs to be tested to know really the, the quality of that forage and how to feed it out properly. Something else that goes into that is, uh, which what Ben talked about, is the moisture content of those maturity levels as well. Yeah, Ben, give some perspective on how important understanding moisture is at the time of harvest and really how that can be a pretty major factor to getting quality silage put up. So anytime we're, we're doing a silage, we're dealing with a fermentation, which makes moisture levels critical. And it's something that we can have a little bit of impact on having a, a good quality fermentation. Um, you know, there's some inoculants, some different things that we can uh, put on while we're harvesting or throw into the pile, but a lot of it is kind of in mother nature's hands there and, and we're just given the right tools um, and hoping everything turns out correctly. So getting that, that proper moisture is critical to make sure that we're at the right fermentation. Um, it's a really touchy thing and fermentation, a lot of it has to deal with the fact that we're creating an anaerobic conditions. Uh, so it's something that there's not a lot of oxygen present for those reactions and those processes to take place in. When we get oxygen introduced into that system, uh, that's when things start to go bad pretty fast. We start to get mold, we get improper fermentation, um, we get you know heat being produced and spoilage. And so that's what we really want to stay away from. That happens when we have things harvested too dry. Uh, when we don't have that moisture to help pack things in really tightly to get all that extra oxygen out. Um, and we don't have that moisture to kind of help seal things up. That's uh, not a, a good situation to sit in. Um, on the flip side of that, if we get things too wet, uh, we can have some issues with spoilage on that side. We can throw off the balance of our fermentation, um, but we're going to lose a lot, you know, just simply from having that moisture and, and those juices and everything running out of the pile. I think anyone who's familiar with uh, harvesting silage at some point has seen a silage pile that's probably gone up a little bit too wet and you see that nice trail of juice going off. You know, there's a lot of energy, a lot of uh, nutrients in there that we're losing. Um, so the sweet spot whenever we're looking at any type of silage that we're harvesting is that kind of 60 to 70% moisture and finding, you know, a way to do that and get that nailed down um, is pretty critical. You know, if we're too wet, we need to wait a little while longer. We need to let things dry out maybe. You know, if we're on too dry, we can possibly do some mixing with wetter parts of our field and, and try to get things balanced out. You know, there is a possibility of, of putting additional moisture on the pile, but it takes a lot of water uh, to raise even 1% moisture um, when you really start looking at it. And so getting it correctly, you know, harvesting at the correct time is going to save us a lot of time and a lot of effort um, and, and get a lot higher quality product than if we're trying to dance around the edges. Well, I think the thing you mentioned around moisture is one that can be really challenging on these small grain silages for a couple reasons in my mind. First, often, as Brad mentioned, we're often wanting to do some double cropping with these. And so maybe we're wanting to come back with a corn crop or or soybeans into, I'm thinking here, a rye crop that had been planted as a cover crop or maybe even triticale. So we're maybe doing some things like uh, windrowing it, trying to get some wilting and then, then chopping. And weather conditions can really start to wreak havoc with us. If it's too warm and windy or maybe it's too wet and we can't get in a timely way, what are some things we can try to do to, 
to manage around this moisture issue to help look at getting a target of that 60 to 70 where we're at. So the, there, there's kind of two different ways that we can go about doing this, Aaron. Um, there's kind of the, the quick and easy way that we can get ourselves in the ballpark. And then, you know, if we really want to know where we're sitting at, um, we can do a little bit more detailed method of, of finding out moisture. Uh, the quick way is, is what's known as kind of a, a squeeze test. And basically, we just start by chopping a, a small bit of an area as a test. And then we take some of that chopped silage and we squeeze it in our hand as tight as we can for about 30 seconds. And we're gonna have a, a couple things happen. If it's too wet, uh, there's gonna be some juice dripping out of that sample. And so we're like, again, we're probably above that 70% moisture and we need to let things dry down a little bit. Um, if we don't have any juice drip out after that 30 seconds, we open up our hand, if that ball of silage falls apart pretty quickly and you know um, separates out we're probably sitting too dry um, and like I mentioned before we're either going to have to add some moisture to that pile or maybe mix that with wetter parts of the field to, to get that moisture level up if that ball stays together fairly well uh, we're probably in in the ballpark where we're going to be able to get a good pack and we've got um, the proper moisture content there now that just kind of gets us in the ballpark um, and that's a really good in-field test to do. If we want to get things a little bit more, uh, you know, know exactly where we're sitting at, um, we can use just our microwave at home or, you know, a dehydrator. We're going to get a sample again, um, bring it in. And if you've got a kitchen scale or another scale that you can round to the tenths place is ideal. And we want to take about hundred grams, you, I, as a sample weight to start out with here, I use 100 grams because it's a lot easier to do the math later on. And we'll just put that into a container and you'll either put it in your dehydrator and, and let that maybe dry out overnight. Or if you are a little impatient like I am sometimes, we'll throw that in the microwave um, and we'll just set it on a low setting and we'll let that go for maybe two to three minutes. The trick with the microwave is we don't wanna char anything or burn anything. One way that you can kind of help prevent that, and it sounds maybe a little bit in uh, backwards, is to put a glass of water in the, the back corner of your microwave. Um, that's not going to prevent your sample from drying out, but it's gonna provide enough moisture in the atmosphere of that microwave that we're not going to overly dry things and, and start to char things as easily. Um, so what we do is we run that for two to three minutes on a low setting, bring it out, mix things around. If it feels like it might be drying out, we'll take a sample weight and we'll see uh, where it's sitting at. If it feels wet and we'll put it back in, go for maybe another two minutes or, or so and continue to do this until we really feel like it's, it's drying out. Um, we'll decrease that time, you know, up to down to 30 seconds in between each time we weigh. And what we want to have is to have it so that we don't have more than two gram difference between our the weight that we had before to the weight that we just got done with. So um, maybe we've done this three or four times. Our last time we weighed it, um, we got 37 grams. And this time we weighed it and we got uh, 36 grams. So we didn't have um, more than two grams difference. And that's gonna be our final weight. And then we can use those to figure out our percent moisture. Um, basically, we take our final weight divided by that initial weight and multiply it by 100. That gives us our percent dry matter. 
and then we just have to subtract that from 100 to get our percent moisture. And that gives us, you know, a little bit more accurate way of, of figuring out your moisture content um, than just doing that, that squeeze test in the field, uh, which is a little bit more in the ballpark. There also are some tools available out there to help measure moisture. Give some just perspective on those and where they might have application as well. You know, there are some really great tools. If, if you do a lot of silage harvesting, you know, there's some uh, dehydrating tools that can, you can use to do moisture contents. Um, there's some handheld moisture meters even. Um, you know, some of those are going to be a little bit more expensive, so it really needs to come down to whether they're worth it in your operation. If silage is just something that you're doing not really on a regular basis, it happens once in a while, those might not be worth the cost. And some of these at-home methods, you know, will be just fine to get your uh, ballpark and, and make sure that you're getting that moisture content pretty close to where it needs to be. If we're doing a lot of silage and, you know, that's something that we're doing pretty frequently and we need to make sure that it's exactly in that moisture content range. We want to make sure that it's really high quality. Um, some of those other tools might be something that we should look into uh, actually purchasing. And they're going to cut down on the time that it takes to figure out those moisture contents. So one of the things you mentioned that's pretty important with getting moisture right is, is packing silage share a little about some things that we need to understand around getting silage packed well. What are some things with harvest and some management practices at the pile or in the bunker that we need to be having in place to try to get a good pack? Right, so one of the first things is obviously the moisture. Uh, the next thing is that, that proper chop length. Um, we usually think about uh, these hollow stems, which are with small grain silages a lot. Um, so we need to be a little bit smaller chop than you would with like a corn silage. Uh, with these small grain silages, we want about a three eighths to one half inch cut. Um, that basically allows those, those small fibers to interweave. Uh, they pack more densely. Uh, and then we can eliminate the oxygen so we don't have uh, the, the molding process to occur because uh, we need that to be, to be anaerobic. You know, the next thing too is, is to make sure we get it packed. Uh, uh, I would always say that the, the most important person or the, or the people we need more of are people packing. Uh, if you're in a pile, you know, another tractor, if you're doing it in the bag, uh, you know, keeping a really close eye on uh, making sure it gets packed full without busting the bag. Uh, those are, those are some really key things to do because you spend all year growing this stuff and spend a little more time making sure everything gets packed well in one day it is really worth your time then too. Covering the silage too, if it's on a pile, uh, reduces spoilage uh, again with, with oxygen, uh, sunlight interception, and uh, any sort of added moisture that may cause the surface to spoil. Uh, you know, the spoilage can be 10% pretty easily, um, but if it's not taken care of well, you know, we can have 20 to 25% of our silage that, that's spoiled, depending on how big the pile is too. And, and that's a huge cost, uh, considering the inputs we've already put into this and, and trying to make this a high quality feed. Uh, then we deal with, you know, not having uh, consistent feed for our animals. And it just is, it's just a key and critical things we need to 
keep an eye on and take a little time to do too. Something to kind of add to that here, Aaron, is like I said, when we're dealing with silage, we're dealing with a fermentation process. And so our enemy in that is oxygen. And like Brad said, you know, getting those, those proper chop lengths, making sure that you're covering that pile is really important. I think a lot of times we look at a situation and we go, it's going to take a lot of time and effort to maybe cover that pile uh, or to get it, throw a tarp or something over it. But if we're not getting that tarp weighed down correctly and, and getting it on there tight, you know, um, it, it seems like we're not really getting a benefit from all that effort that we're having to go through or the extra time and making sure that it's packed tightly and correctly. Um, but when you really sit down and you start looking at what you're losing with spoilage, um, either whether that's quality that we're losing out of that pile, we might still be able to feed it, but it's not as high quality and it's infecting our animal performance that way, or we're having to, you know, dis discard some of that because it's, you know, overly spoiled. Um, a lot of times it's worth maybe a little bit of extra cost and time on the front end to have a really high quality product later on. Maybe put in some, you know, a cement bunker instead of just having it packed on the ground into a pile. Um, you know, anything that we can do to, to keep that oxygen out of it is going to help us in the long run. One of the things you also mentioned in the article is is thinking about feed out management. And I think this is one that in my mind is sometimes overlooked in that we might get that pile put up well, we get it covered, but then in the feed out process, we're exposing that silage or at least a good portion of that silage face to oxygen and deterioration is occurring. Give some perspective on management practices that we might wanna think about as we think about feeding out silage and how we can try to reduce loss at that time. Right, so the, the work isn't done when it's in the pile, right? So uh, the work continues as we feed it out, like you said. One of the basic, most broken down parts would be that only take out as much as you need that day. You know, only scrape off that much. Uh, a lot of times with a smaller face, that's, that's much easier. Uh, you know, if we have it in a bag, uh, which is a pretty common way of, of packing these small grain silages right now. The, the face isn't very you know, wide, it isn't very big, so you can usually go several feet in depending on how many head you're feeding. Uh, and so you're, you usually have a pretty fresh face as well. Now, if we're looking at a larger face, you know, having something to, to rake it down, you know, there, there's equipment that can put it right into uh, – can, can mow it off essentially and, and uh, scrape it off and put it into a, a wagon right away. And those are, those are great, but they're expensive and, and you have to be able to afford those in your operation. But keeping that smooth face uh, still reduces the amount uh, of surface area that can cause any sort of spoilage right away or just a decrease in, in quality in just a, a few hours time. One of the things that's mentioned in the article that I think for operations that, you know, maybe can't afford a silage rake or something like that is, you know, taking your bucket and scraping down to try to cut that silage face off and then, you know, pulling that silage away and loading that rather than sticking your bucket in the bottom of the pile and lifting up. And I just think that's a, you know, a fairly straightforward, simple thing to do that we often don't think about when you're pulling that bucket up in the silage pile 
you're really kind of opening things up, not only on the face, but behind it. And, you know, that can be a fairly simple way to, again, reduce some of the oxygen penetration that can occur when we're feeding silage out. Other thoughts on things we can do to keep the silage loss to a minimum once we get it in a pile? Like I said, Aaron, uh, some other things that, you know, folks can look into uh, depending on your situation is there, there are some different inoculants and different things that we can add either during harvest or while we're packing it into, into the pile there. And those are options to, they basically help enhance the fermentation process. They uh, help those microbes maintain a good pH balance. Um, and they're going to improve that quality uh, of the silage that we get. We're going to get a better, you know, dry matter return on that. Um, they are going to cost a little bit, but again, depending on your situation, uh, if we're going through all these steps to make sure that we have high quality silage, uh, that we're maintaining, you know, a high quality silage in the pile and, and as we're feeding it, they might be worth it. Um, if we're not really concerned about how we're packing that pile, we're not covering it, we're leaving it open to the elements, and then we're going to spend money on maybe an inoculant. Um, that kind of seems a little counterintuitive to me. Um, so I, I think that's maybe something, once we get all these other things into line, then we can start considering those into um, taking that product up to, you know, an even higher quality level. One of the other things I think is important is that once we open up that pile is to go ahead and get that sample taken and see what the quality is. And, you know, if there was some variation in the field, if there's some variation in the pile, this is something that we might need to do more than once to, especially if we're uh, feeding some small grain silage now and maybe there's variation in the pile or maybe we don't get back to it and there's been deterioration occur. Uh, knowing what we have and getting an accurate analysis is pretty important as you think about inclusion and ration. So just want to encourage people to do that. Uh, again, practice good safety when you sample a silage face, especially if you think about one that's got any kind of height, you want to be very careful about doing that because obviously there are instances where uh, silage piles have collapsed or a face has fallen and, and people have been buried. So be careful about doing that. Be careful about um, also feeding that if you have a tall pile and how you do that so you make sure safety is, is paramount. Anything else to add, guys, as we point towards wrapping this up? Yeah, I think going back to where we started with this, Aaron, a lot of these small grain silages really provide opportunity to our operations. It gives us a lot of flexibility, you know, whether that's double cropping, coming in with a, you know, a row crop or a cash crop afterwards, or maybe, you know, before with a corn silage or something like that, or triple cropping, you know, we could put a rye in, um, have that over winter grow, harvest, do a, a summer annual, and then even have a fall forage crop following that. Uh, this gives us a lot of flexibility in our operations to change things up, um, you know, switch things up, especially, you know, if we've got some different weather conditions or uh, just need to adjust to some different factors happening on our, our operation. And then from a feed perspective, you know, we've got a, a fairly high quality um, feed source that's has quality to it. It's got some moisture in it. Um, you know, it's got some roughage in it that can fit really well into a ration. So there's, there's a lot of benefits to considering whether some of these small grade forages fit into your operation and maybe trying to find an opportunity to work them in. I would also mention too that, you know, uh, 
a lot of people who are, who are beginning to do this, uh, they've been cash crop and uh, only cash crop. And, and the one thing we need to make sure is that uh, you want to stay in compliance with crop insurance too. just make sure, uh, talk to your crop insurance agent, make sure the practices that you're doing don't eliminate uh, your eligibility for the, for federal crop insurance. Uh, if you use that on your operation, um, because that could be uh, it could be detrimental too. If we, if we make a mistake like that, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's something good, but it needs to also come with uh, evaluating the trade-offs too. And Brad, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. For more information on the articles that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I'd encourage you to visit the beef.unl.ed website. At the website, you can find more information on these topics.